Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred Keith, Episode 16 The news was too good to keep and Rupert could not forbear stopping at the smithy on his return and giving Gotobed a hint of how matters stood, to say that the certainty of a decided rejection of Ransquaddle's suit lifted a burden of anxiety from young Lightcap's mind is not an overestimate of the relief the boy's communication afforded him. He had been moody and depressed since his visit of the morning to Ransquaddle's shop and had refused to give Rhoda Jane any satisfaction as to his intentions in regard to making one of the slaying party of the following evening. She was therefore agreeably surprised when toward bedtime he came in quite a merry mood into the kitchen where she sat sewing alone their mother having stepped out to see a neighbor to tell her that he had decided to go well i'm glad of it she said and who are you going to take he colored at the question and answered almost doggedly i'm going after sarah miller why don't you ask mildred keith cause there ain't no use ornsby's headed me off there yes and if he, you don't look out with your pokin ways he'll head you off altogether and marry her afore you know it she ain't going off in such a hurry he muttered drumming on the table with his fingers then jumping up from his chair and going over to the stove making a pretense of warming himself that he might avoid the keen scrutiny of his sister's sharp eyes but what's the use o me a trying with all them fellers around goatee like cap i'm ashamed of you exclaimed rhoda jane if i was a man i'd have more pluck by a long shot twouldn't be me that would let any feller get ahead when where i was a man to go in and win you don't know nothing about it he retorted lightening a candle and stalking off to bed dear me if he only had half my spunk said rhoda jane looking after him with scornful eyes and a curling lip the wish was echoed more than once in his heart as he lay awake far into the night, revolving the subject in his mind, and filled with longings, doubts, and fears. He had been so greatly rejoiced over the downfall of Ransquaddle's hopes, yet after all what did it avail him, while the other three, whose superiority he could not help acknowledging to himself, remained in the way? Alas, there was no great cause for exaltation that one rival out of four had been removed from his path. Still, was it quite certain that they were all rivals? Might it not be that Miss Chetwood or Miss Grange was the more attractive girl to one or all of them? The six were so constantly seen together, the tensions of the three young men were so equally divided between the three girls, that who could tell how they were going to pair off, if at all? Besides, there was no accounting for tastes, and a lady didn't always select that one from among her mares whom other people in general considered the most desirable match. There was yet a spark of hope for him, but... Ah, if he only had Rhoda Jane's pluck and energy of determination. Near sunset of the next day, a large omnibus sleigh drawn by four horses 
with jung jingling bells and well supplied with buffalo robes and other appliances for keeping the cold at bay, went from house to house in pleasant plains, picking up the girls and boys to the number of a dozen or more, a very merry company, then gl glided swiftly on over the snow for some six or eight miles. The sleighing was fine, the weather not severe, the moon rose soon after the setting of the sun, and the girls being well muffled up in hoods, cloaks, and other wraps, were warm and cozy, and vastly enjoyed the ride. Of course the lads did the same, they laughed, jested, and sang, and found time fly as swiftly as the horses, who seemed to make nothing of their load. The destination of the party was a hotel in a neighboring village, where a supper had been ordered for them some days before. It was served up hot and savory shortly after their arrival. A couple of hours were afterwards spent in the parlor of the hotel in social chat and playing games, and here they were joined by Mr. Timothy Buzzard, who taught a singing school in this town also. There's another rival, thought got to bed, jealously watching him carrying on a lively conversation with Mildred. Pears like everybody's after her, and I can't get no chance at all. Rhoda Jane was equally jealous, partly for her brother, but still more for herself, because last year Mr. Buzzard had waited upon her more than on any other girl in Pleasant Plains, and she considered him her property and didn't fancy being cut out by no newcomer, nor by anybody else, for that matter. Influenced by the desire to separate the two, she was the first to suggest that it was time to start for home. She was agreeably surprised that Mildred promptly seconded the motion. Some objected, saying there was no hurry, but as it was now eleven o'clock, these were overruled by the majority, and the sleigh was presently announced as in readiness. "'Can't we make room for another passenger?' someone asked, as amid laughter and jesting they were crowding into the vehicle. "'Who is it?' queried another. "'Why, Buzzard would—' "'No, we hain't room for no more,' or interrupted go to bed. "'We're not a-goin' to have the ladies crowded.' "'Speak for yourself, Gotay Lightcap," spoke up Rhoda Jane with spirit. "'There ain't none of us so disobliging as not to be willing to scrouge a little "'for the sake of accommodating a fellow critter in distress. "'Set up a little closer, girls, and there'll be lots of room.' "'Yes, the more the merrier, and the closer the warmer,' assented Sarah Miller, "'Gotay Lightcap's partner for the expedition, "'who had noticed with vexation and chagrin "'his evident interest in Mildred Keith.' Come on, Buzzard, making room for the singing teacher between Rhoda Jane and herself. Thank you, ladies. I shall be a thorn between two roses, he said, taking the offered seat with a laugh at his own stale jest. Now we've got the singing master along. Let's have some music, said Rhoda Jane, when they were fairly on their way. Yes, yeah, you'll be expected to pay your way, Buzzard, remarked Ormsby. I hope I'll always be found willing to do that, he responded. Miss Lightcap? What shall I sing? Highly pleased that the choice was given her, Rhoda Jane promptly named a love song she had heard him sing as a solo. He gave it, then another selected by Miss Miller. Then turning to Mildred, I think it is your turn now, Miss Keith, he said. 
She proposed a round he had taught them that winter, saying all could join in it. All did so with right good will. Other rounds, glees, choruses, and solos followed. They sang on even after reaching Pleasant Plains, sang on till but two or three were left as one after another was set down at his or her own door. A light burned in the parlor at Mr. Keefe's, and the front door was opened before the sleigh had quite drawn up to it. "'Poor dear mother! What a shame to have kept you up so long!' Mildred exclaimed as she came in. "'Never mind,' was the cheerful reply. "'Here's a good warm fire. Take this armchair close to it, and don't remove any of your wraps till you cease to feel chilly. I should have prepared you some hot lemonade, but for one little difficulty in the way, no lemons to be had.' Coffee would shall have a glass of good rich milk, either hot or cold as you prefer. Now tell me what sort of a time you had. I wish every girl had such a mother as mine, Mildred said, smiling fondly, up into the face she loves so well. I verily believe I take as much pleasure in recounting my adventures to you as in going through them. And it is so nice to have so safe and wise and loving a confidant. Mother, I have a great deal to tell you, not so much about what has occurred tonight as of something that happened last night. I have been looking for an opportunity all day, but without finding it. For you know, we were unusually busy all the morning, and had company all the afternoon, till it was time for me to get ready for the sleigh ride. Mrs. Keith glanced at the face of a tall, old-fashioned clock ticking in a corner of the room. I want very much to hear your story, daughter, but if you can sleep without having told it, I think we will reserve it till tomorrow, for, see, it is now half-past twelve. The girl would have been glad to unburden her mind, and to learn, if her mother approved, not her rejection of Ryan's quaddle, of that there could be no doubt, but her manner of doing but that dear mother's face, cheerful though it was, told of physical exhaustion and need of sleep. Mildred rose hastily. High time, then, we were both in bed. My story will keep perfectly well till tomorrow. Sit down and finish warming yourself, Mrs. Keith said with a smile. I want to hear about it tonight. We will keep the longer story for tomorrow. The light capes found their house all dark. The family had retired to bed hours ago, but leaving the kitchen door unlocked and a good fire in the stove. Good and warm in here, he marked to go to bed, filling for the candle and matches his mother was sure to have left on the table ready for them. Yes, feels comfortable. I shall sit down and warm a bit before I crawl up to that there cold bedroom. Me too. Don't expect to sleep none when I do get to bed, growled Gote as he succeeded in lighting the candle. After two or three ineffectual attempts and set it on the table again, kind of excited, are you? Some, I say. What did you make room for that? Don't swear, she sneered as he paused for a suitable cognomen to bestow upon Buzzard. I wasn't a-going to, he said angrily. Not but what I've sufficient cause in your letting that guy in amongst us decent folks. There now, that'll do for tonight, she snapped. Tim Buzzard ain't no more, and he's twice as good-looking and sings like a nightingale. But now, see here, don't let's quarrel, but go to work together to bring 
things around right. You don't want him to cut you out with Mildred Keith, and I don't want her to cut me out with him. So now you just spunk up and pop the question you don't. One or other of them fellers to get ahead of you. You may just take my word for that. Gotobed dropped his head into his hands and sighed deeply, then rose and walked to the floor. Rhoda Jane watched him with an eager, half-contemptuous look. Well, he said at length, I wished I knowed how. Knowed how? You needn't make many words about it. Tain't like making up a sermon or a president's message. It's a heap more important. The happiness of a feller's whole life are dependent on to it. Silence for some minutes. Rhoda Jane sitting meditatively before the stove her feet on its hearth, her hands clasped around her knees, while her brother continued his restless walk. She was the first to speak. I'd write it out if I was you. I ain't used to writing much. Well, you can get used to it. You can try and try till you've written something that'll do. I couldn't write anything good enough for her to see. Then take t'other way. I don't never get on no chance, and if I did, I'd be tongue-tied, sure as the world. Then you'll have to write it, and I'll help you, concluded Rhoda Jane with energy. She arose as she spoke, picked up the candle, stepped quickly to a corner shelf in the next room, whence she brought an awkward an inkstand and a quill pen. Setting these down on the kitchen table, she went back and, opening a bureau drawer where miscellaneous articles were kept, fished out from its depths a sheet of full scap, which she spread out beside the inkstand. There, that ain't nice enough, said go to bed, eyeing it disapprovingly. Make it up on that and get better at the store tomorrow to copy it on to, returned his sister. Now you sit down and go at it like a man, or maybe I'd better say like a woman, she added sarcastically. If I'd only had an education, groaned go to bed, taking up the pen, but it's mighty hard on a feller, such things as this is, when he hasn't. Well, do the best you can, and maybe it'll come out right for you all. You're good-looking and got a good trade and can make a good living for her. Just tell her that. Tell her you think she's as purty as a picture and good-tempered and knows a lot and that you worship the ground she walks on and won't never let the wind blow rough on her, won't never say no cross words to her, and, and a lot more of such stuff. That's what girls like. Well, I suppose you'd ought to know, seeing you belong to the sect. But it's a heap easier for you to say it than for me to get it right down in black and white, he sighed. I declare I'm clear beat out with you almost, said Rhoda Jane, snuffing the candle impatiently. And I've a great mind to leave you to make it up by yourself. But she went on coaxing, suggesting, and prompting, till between them they had composed an epistle, which was satisfactory to her, though not to her brother. It's nigh on to three o'clock, and I'm awful tired and sleepy, she remarked, as at last they separated and sought their beds. The next day, go to bed, searched the town for letter paper, and bought half a quire of the best he could find. During the next week, all his leisure moments were spent in making revised and improved copies of his and Rhoda Jane's joint composition. He had used his last sheet, and seized with a fit of desperation, he selected the one which seemed to him the least faulty, and sent it by his sister. Mrs. Keith, opening the door in answer to Rhoda Jane's knock, was struck with the peculiar expression of the girl's face. 
a mixture of pride, condescension, and exaltation. Good evening, Miss, Miss Keith. Where's Mildred? She said, stepping in and glancing about the room with an air of importance. I want to see her particular. Got something for her, and a conscious glance at the missive in her hand enlightened the quick-witted lady as to its nature. Mildred is not at home, she said. Will not be until bedtime, but anything you choose to leave with me will be given her on her return. Rhoda Jane considered a moment. She felt a strong desire to deliver the note into Mildred's own hand, and to watch her while reading it. But should she carry it back, Gote might change his mind and put off indefinitely this business, which she was so desirous to have carried through at once. She left it, though with evident reluctance. She presently congratulated herself that she had done so. Go to bed, eerily awaiting her return, peering anxiously every other minute through the smithy door, held her in breathless excitement. Well, what? What did she? She wasn't there. She's gone out somewheres and won't be back till bedtime. Give it to me then, quick! And he held out his hand with a peremptory gesture. I ain't got it, Rhoda Jane answered with a sardonic grin. Where is it? You ain't gone and left it, he cried, aghast. Yes, I have. I give it to Mrs. Keith. Go to bed, groaned. I'd thought better of it. I'd throw it in the fire this minute, if I had it here. She'll think me stupid. I know she will. If she does, she is, returned Rhoda Jane shortly, and left him to his un unavailing regrets. How they tortured him. How could he bear the suspense? Mildred was merciful and did not keep him in doubt any longer than necessary. He found a letter next morning in the post office with his address upon it, written in a lady's delicate, graceful hand. His heart seemed to jump into his mouth at the sight. He almost snatched it from the postmaster's hand, and without stopping to answer the jesting remark of that functionary on his sudden ascension of collar, hurried away, never stopping till he reached the privacy of his own room, thankful that he succeeded in doing so without being seen by any of the family. But now it was a full minute ere he could summon courage to open the missive and learn his fate. And even when it lay open before him, he passed his hand several times, crossed his eyes as if to clear his sight. Yet it was very plainly written, also plainly expressed, a distinct, decided, though very kindly rejection of his suit. The only reason given that she could not love him, and a loveless marriage could be fruitful of nothing but misery to both parties. Thank you for listening to another episode of Baker Soft Story Classic.